Welcome, listeners, to a podcast that seeks to ignite the flames of inspiration and empowerment within the ServiceNow community. I'm Farah Wells, your host and the director of Linking Humans, the number one global partner for ServiceNow recruitment. Join us on this journey as we venture deep into the world of ServiceNow leaders, discover the very essence of their motivations and the unique mindset that paved the way for their remarkable success. Okay, so today we've got a very, very special guest, everyone. And it is George Pryor. Now, George has spent over 35 years working in technology. George has seen the growth of the internet, the beginnings of the AI boom, and the cloud. And most recently, he has been the CIO of New Rocket. So thank you, George, for joining us today. Well, Farah, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Yeah, absolutely. No worries at all. And yeah, I hear the humidity levels are pretty crazy where you are right now, right? It is summertime in the nation's capital. So it wouldn't be anything (laughs) but a humid, hot summer if it wasn't. Wow. Wow. I love that. Well, in the UK right now, it's gray, it's raining, it's cloudy, but hey, that's British summertime for you. So yeah, absolutely. Huge welcome to you. Um, It's a real privilege to talk with you. I know we've spoken before in the past before, and I've always been so wowed by, you know, who you are as a person, your background, your history, um, and just how genuine and humble you are as a person. I was I was completely blown away. So thank you so much. It means so much. Um, And I I think you know what everybody you know wants to know first of all is is maybe a little bit about how you joined New Rocket because just so the listeners know you joined at a very very exciting time a really important time in their career five companies merged and rebranded under the name of New Rocket so could you just tell us a little bit about your time there as CIO um, yeah, no, New, New Rocket is, 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 I think, aptly named um, because it truly is a rocket ship uh, that is, is going to the um, outer edges in what it's doing. Um, it's, a, it's a great story, actually. Um, you've got a number of very successful ServiceNow companies in both Canada, uh, North America, and then also in India that were put together with the stated objective. And if you go to the website, you'll see to be the premier provider of all things service now. And I think they're doing a fantastic job in achieving that. Um, you know, it's never easy taking different cultures, taking successful smaller companies and putting them together. Um, M&A, mergers and acquisition and integrations and uh, change management, if you will, around the people, the processes, the technology um, is critical to making sure that you don't lose that special sauce, if you will, that made all of those individual companies uh, successful. And I think New Rocket has done an outstanding job of doing that. And I'm very proud to have been part of that. Um, We had a pretty Herculean task in doing that um, in literally four months. We started in September. We were done at the end of December 2021. And it's been uh, absolutely amazing since then. Uh, and the company is headed towards these really, really bright, successful uh, outer reaches, if you will. So um, tons of fun, tons of work. But as they say, if you don't work hard, it was because it wasn't worth doing. And this was definitely worth doing. 
Yeah, that sounds absolutely amazing. And I can imagine it was really exciting at the time, but I can imagine it's quite difficult as well. I mean, you mentioned about culture, um, you know, trying to merge five individual companies who have their own style and culture and, and way of working. Like, how did you get to understand each company to make sure that, you know, that it went successfully without, you know, too much hiccups? Yeah, I, it's the people, right? At the end of the day, it's the people. You know, this was complicated by the fact this was all done over Zoom, uh, Teams, Zoom, people in different time zones, different geographical areas. And yes, for your listeners, Canadians and uh, folks in the U.S., they are different. Uh, we are different. They, have, they say things differently, but it's, again, um, the thing to remember is focus on the objective, uh, the goal of what we were trying to achieve and what we did achieve and what was built and how each individual can be part of that journey and be part of succeeding in that goal. I was really privileged to inherit a diverse set of individuals from the various companies that made up the technology team. And it was, it was, it was great, right? Everybody rolled their sleeves up. Uh, they dug in and just got things done. And so the key is to focus on the outcome and make sure that you take care of people. And I think that was very much what we did. Yeah, amazing, amazing. And, you know, obviously, you know, there's obviously a lot of people involved, right? So, oh, yeah. and not everybody embraces change, you know, some people, you know, they, they might not even want the merger to happen. How did you kind of, from a leadership perspective, how do you deal with personalities where they're slightly reluctant to it? How did you overcome it to make sure that they were on board? Yeah, that's a great question. You're right. We as humans, we like to we like to stay the course, so to speak, and uh, people get into a mindset where they want to keep doing what they're doing, especially if they've been successful with it, right? Um, so you can't just promote change for the sake of change. Uh, there was a really good mission statement by the leadership team about what they were trying to build. So to me, I think the name New Rocket is very appropriate because if you think about the era that humanity is now in, we're, we're poised to go to the moon again, to Mars, all these things. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's a tangible way of creating a story and a business plan that the organization can believe in and be part of. Um, that's not to say that there will be some things that people will not be exactly happy, systems, be it, you know, the technology, be the process or whatever. Um, one thing you have to remember in any of these things, and, I, and I've done a number of these over my uh, career, is you can't make everybody happy. And if you try to, you will fail. And most importantly, if you think about it, there's always a group of people that are probably reluctant, right? Doesn't mean you forget about them. Absolutely not. In fact, those can be your ambassadors. But you still need to focus on that 80 to 85% that want to do this because that will be the core group of people that will help you achieve the objective. But again, uh, be humble, listen, listen a lot, uh, and make sure that you're prepared to pivot. But in the end of the day, there will always be a group of people that are not able to, and you've got to obviously respect that and figure a way to help them 
be part of it. Or in some cases, sadly, sometimes people will move on. That sounds amazing. And, you know, you, you kind of picked up on, on mindset there um, and what you were saying, George. I mean, talking about yourself, personal self, can you describe the mindset or attitude that has been instrumental in your journey to the top? You know, how did it develop? How do you maintain it as well? That's probably the biggest question. For me, I, I had a wise teacher and it was my father. He always told me that your success is based and built upon the people that you work with. To me, I've always viewed success as collective and I viewed success and failure, by the way, because we do fail and sometimes failure is good uh, because it teaches you to do things differently in the people that you work with or that work for you as you progress. Um, you know, I'd love to say I was like this when I was 21. I wasn't. Um, as you get older, uh, you get wiser. You do. And you also realize that you actually know a lot less. Um, but the key to me is always listening. Uh, within that core group of people that you work with, that work for you, or, you know, technology as an as a as a group as a service delivery group to the business right they 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 you have to listen you have to make sure that you're providing value that you're solving real problems and that you are able to deliver on what you do and to me i find that listening and encouraging people to make those decisions and sometimes you have to arbitrate those decisions right um is is the way to do it so very much i credit what I've been able to achieve in my professional um, life because of the people that I've had the privilege of working with um, and that have allowed me to progress and do the things that I've been able to do. So I think as a leader, you always have to listen. It's mm. so critical. Absolutely. And, you know, I think listening is uh, communication, listening are, are the most important sort of tools that anybody can have, you know, in their back pocket. As much as obviously you're great at listening to your team and to the people around you, how do you get them to listen to you? How do you how do you become an inspirational leader that they look up to you, respect what you say, and follow you know your decision making? Like how do you sort of flip it for the other side? Not always will people listen to you. Um, the key is to try to get them to grab onto something and then build on that, right? Um, in, in one way or another, we always are in a position where the skeptics have to be convinced. Uh, and sometimes you don't. Um, and begrudgingly, they'll follow. And what to me is the most rewarding is after you've done something where a skeptic said, that's never going to work, or this is a terrible idea. They come back and say, you know, this wasn't such a bad idea. And if they really, really want to stretch. They'll tell you that it actually was a good idea and it tells you how they, how, how it's helped them. Um, again, it's good to have naysayers. I'm a firm believer in naysayers because, you know, we don't all want to go over the cliff together, right? Um, it's funny. If I think about service management and all of those things that we do inside of service management, there's a reason why we do this. And this is something I give a lot of credit to the Brits. You guys developed the ITIL framework, right? Which ServiceNow is very much designed to leverage. And 
quite honestly, there's a reason why we do change requests, because we want to make sure that we're not going to go over the cliff and do something bad. And if someone says, you know, George, don't do this, there's a reason why. Maybe they got burnt by something, and I want to hear why. Um, and then you accept the risk or you move forward and you make sure you acknowledge the contribution of the individual who might not have been in agreement with you. Yeah, sounds amazing. So, yeah, wonderful. When you joined New Rocket, was that your first introduction to ServiceNow, like the technology, um, or had you used it before? I had used it before, so it was not my first introduction uh, to ServiceNow. Um, I've used it in three prior uh, positions. A, a huge fan of ServiceNow. It's just a phenomenal product. And I'll tell you a little secret. I cut my teeth on uh, Remedy uh, many, many years ago in uh, an uh, on-prem environment on an AIX platform with Oracle as the database. There were a lot of things I learned about. And Remedy is at the time was a great product. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of things you, you, you should do and shouldn't do. And unfortunately, we did most of the things we shouldn't do. Uh, when I first had a chance to use ServiceNow in a SaaS environment, um, I was running a healthcare products company. Uh, we built technology and it was perfect, right? Because uh, change control was massive. We were updating SaaS platforms. And frankly, we we're not doing a good job. Uh, we were not. We were deploying buggy code and having a lot of service interruptions. So leveraging a tool like ServiceNow, which uh, allows you to really run that change control problem resolution and everything made a huge difference in our ability to improve the overall change control process and the ultimate outcome. And then we pivoted our customer support desk over to it as well and had all of the incidents opened by customers on there. So uh, fantastic. And then I deployed HR um, in a previous organization. And then of course at New Rocket, because we had so many, there's just phenomenal expertise. We just deployed the uh, service desk, the uh, hardware and software asset management and all the other components. So, and did a, a whole bunch of different things with it. Um, and if you go to New Rocket's website, you'll see what the company has actually been able to build on top of ServiceNow. Oh, that's amazing. And, and comparing ServiceNow to perhaps some of the other competitors out there, would you always pick ServiceNow if you had choices at the top of what to implement? Uh, as a rule, I would, um, only because it's such a comprehensive solution, especially in the enterprise space. Once you get to a certain point in size, there is the life cycle, not just of technology, but the people, right? Um, you manage the onboarding, case management in HR, the asset disposition, and all the different things in there. If you can afford it, it is by far the best product to use in this space. It just is. Um, and it's an investment, but I think it's a worthwhile investment. Mm, absolutely. So, no, that sounds fantastic. And, and for anybody that wants to, who's thinking about a career in service now, what do you think the future holds? I think the future for anyone that wants to get involved with that platform, it's, it's very good. Um, this is a company that's growing tremendously. Um, it is a low code, no code environment. So for those folks that cut their teeth, you know, using 
Visual Cafe for Java or Visual Studio. It's very different. Um, I would also recommend that they understand business processes. That to me is the most important thing because you're really automating and enabling the workflow of an organization's business um, and understanding why you're doing something and why it's important. And also, there's an incredible reporting engine within ServiceNow as well for managing the you know, KPIs and everything. But being a business-focused individual around process, I think, will help an awful lot. Mm, absolutely. How can somebody learn this? Online. Um, that's the beauty. And, of course, you can also register at ServiceNow's platform um, and get you know, access to their learning material. They're, they're invested in people learning the technology. Uh, mm. The more people that know how to use the tool, obviously, the more people want to use the tool. Um, this is very much a, if you want to put into it, uh, you will get more than double the output in what you put in. So I would say to anyone, go out to the ServiceNow website and learn how to use the tools. The data is there. The materials are there. Yeah, amazing. That's great. So just talking about obviously learning on your own two feet, what, what role do you believe mentorship and guidance plays in career progression? A lot. I'm a big believer in that. Um, to me, one of the most important things in any leadership role, especially in areas where you've got people that are younger or may not have the background in the technology, is stretching. Um, I always say to the people that work for me, when we do their MBOs or whatever you, you do is you got to have a couple in there where you feel like you've got to put yourself out of your comfort zone, right? And I think it's really important that people feel that they're supported if they go out on a limb. I always tell the, everybody that works for me, it's okay if you fail. Because if you don't fail, that means you haven't taken a risk. Obviously, there's some areas you have to be careful with um, and you want to fail in areas it doesn't put you know, the organization or people in, in, at jeopardy, but you learn by failing. So to me, encouraging that through mentorship where the people that work for you are confident that if they do fail, it's not an extinction level event, but rather it's an, a growth opportunity. Absolutely. I love that. I love that mindset that uh, it just encourages people to kind of really go out there and, and explore and be curious and and try new things. And I think, you know, that's how humans advance, right? So um, I think that's brilliant. You know, I think it's just natural human behavior that, you know, people face moments of doubt, right? As a leader, you know, you probably sat in a boardroom and at some stage probably had imposter syndrome thinking, oh gosh, what am I doing here? You know, how do you manage to overcome these self-doubts? How do you, what would you kind of give us advice to overcome feelings of like insecurity um, that you are good enough and what you say does work? And how, how would you, what would you say to that? I would say, number one, you're your own best champion for your abilities. Um, so if you think about that, be proud of what you've done, but be humble about what you've achieved. Number two, if you don't know the answer, don't try to answer it. Um, it is okay to say, I don't know. In fact, it shows a level of maturity that if you don't know the answer, it's okay to say that. Now, I preface that 
if you're supposed to know the answer in that board meeting, saying I don't know is probably not the best idea because that means you didn't prepare and that's a whole different discussion. But if you truly don't know, if you said to me, well, what do you think the likelihood of this and this happening? And I hadn't prepared. I'm perfectly fine saying I don't know, but let me look and see and I'll get back to you or something like that. So, you know, there's a tendency, especially in technology, because things move so quickly that people feel that they're on the spot. And if you're on the spot, you've got to know the answer. Well, there's a lot of answers that I have to take time and come back to. And so it's okay to admit that you don't know. And number three, personally, uh, I find that in a difficult situation, validating that the people that you've spoken to have understood what you've sent to them, telegraphed, so to speak, it's important. If it's a complicated environment and the question is difficult, we as technological technological people tend to get into our jargon speak. So it's good to go back and say, all right, Farah, did I answer your question? Does that make sense? And I think it shows a level of engagement where you're actually making sure that the question that was asked, the answer actually provides meaningful background to be able to move forward. Yeah, I think that's fantastic advice. Absolutely. And you mentioned about being able to say no. Okay. So there are many people out there that uh, find it difficult to say no. You know, um, their managers are piling on the workload. Uh, there's a project. Can you do it in this deadline? Yeah, sure. I'll do it. Even though they know they can't, but they physically can't say no. How would you educate those people to, to be able to stand up and say, actually, you know, I can't, you know, no, the answer is no. How do you, how would you teach somebody that? That's a, a difficult question only because if you're in a situation where you know you can't possibly achieve something, yet there's a pressure to accept, then at some point the wheels are going to fall off, right? It's a matter of time. Um, and that's a broader issue. And that could be a discussion about the corporate culture or whatever else. Um, I always say to my staff, don't say yes if you know you shouldn't have said yes. It's okay to negotiate. Um, no has to be a nuanced no. There are sometimes it's absolutely no, right? No. Um, but there's always a no but or there is a yes but. And a yes but is a way of saying, well, for a I think I can, but there's some constraints. And those constraints are, you've already got me at 120% of budget in terms of allocation. This is going to put me at 150%. How, how's that going to work? Um, and, and very candidly, you know, we all can exceed 100% for a short term. Can we do 150% for a long term? Probably not. So I think bringing visibility to the fact that you've asked to do something that is potentially unachievable and providing a opportunity to say, I want to do this, but maybe this could be moved over here or we could defer this. So it's a, it's a negotiation, but you have to be comfortable negotiating. You do. And I think we as managers have to also ensure that people that work for us 
are comfortable asking to negotiate. Because otherwise, it's a one-sided relationship. And one-sided relationships generally are not healthy. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, no, great advice there. And just talking about that, you know, sometimes people do take on too much and they burn out very quickly or the quality drops, right? So what advice would you give to somebody so that they don't burn out, so that the passion doesn't go from what they're doing, from what they initially joined to do? If you've got someone that is working for you or you see, if you've got the relationship in a way, I would take them aside and say, look, George, uh, I appreciate the passion, but I see the quality is slipping because you're doing too much. How can I help you? Um, do we need to do things differently? Or, you know, do you need me to help you speak to your manager or, or just dial things back? Uh, we all have a tremendous capacity to do things. I, I just love watching athletes give it their absolute everything um, and, you know, just break that record or do anything. But that's a calculated move. Um, and you'll notice most of those high performing athletes, they give their all at the right moment because they've learned how to do it. And teaching people how to operate that way, I think, is critical. But running people ragged uh, forever it's not sustainable and you'll lose good people. And ultimately it's a reflection on your leadership that if you do that, um, people don't want to work for you. So I pride myself on the fact that I really encourage all of the people that I work with to maintain a good work-life balance. That's really important. Mm, absolutely. hundred percent. And, you know, talking about passion, people sometimes will join a project or a company and be really psyched up, you know, really passionate. Yeah, this is what I do. Three months, six months in, a year down the line, it starts to wane. How, how, what advice would you give them or other leaders on how they can keep that fire alive in someone's belly? They keep that passion alive. We all have our up days and we all have our down days. Um, and I think, again, managing to those, you know, those down days is really important, as you point out, because, you know, there could be periods of time where it's just, oh, my goodness, it's drudgery, right? You know, is it going to rain for another week? Can I just see the sun? I think the most important thing is maintaining a, a sense of positivity. I'm a positive person. I really am. I'm, I'm an optimist by nature. So maybe... I've got an unfair advantage on that, but um, trying to maintain a, a positive approach uh, to things. And if sometimes it looks like you're in a rut, then you got to shake it up. And shaking it up could be you just stop doing something and try something else to build a nugget of success that allows you to pivot back in. I, I always tell people, if you can't solve the problem by yourself in the first 30 minutes, chances are you won't. Go call a buddy. Um, and if they can't do it in the next 30 minutes, then call another buddy. Um, because to me, you should never try to do this on your own. Yeah, that's brilliant. Mm, that's absolutely brilliant. And, and just talking about, you mentioned positivity. Uh, you know, obviously that is so crucial. You know, motivation, positivity, it's so important um, in a work life, but also for personal life setting. How those people that perhaps maybe suffer from anxiety or overthinking or, you know, have moments of self-doubt, how, what advice can you give them to have a positive mindset so they get into that flow? 
we all suffer from anxiety. We do. And we all suffer from what I would call, um, you know, it, bouts of, of self-doubt. And, and for some people, um, that could be even more serious. Um, I think you recognize that and you need to be good to yourself and you need to have a support system whereby you are able to do that. And I know I recognize that everyone can do that. And, and that's, you know, I'm very fortunate. Um, you know, I've been married for over 30 years and, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it, it, that's the most important part person in my life. But, um, you know, you, you have to recognize. And when people tell you, George, I see something and you need help, take them up on it. You're not Superman or Superwoman, right? We're, we're all fallible. Um, so I think listening and recognizing that hopefully the people that you're with have your best intentions at heart and try to act on that. And don't consider that because maybe you need help, you're weak. I think that's so important. There's been a tremendous pivot um, in areas of what I would call mental health, um, where to admit that you needed help was maybe to be weak. And it's not. It's absolutely not. It is um, a recognition that you need help. After all, um, if you broke your arm, would you not go to the doctor? Of course not. You'd get it set, right? I mean, I, there's just no no question about that. And that's the same thing. If you feel that you need help, ask. That's uh, honestly, that is uh, absolute key, I think. And, and And like you say, you know, I think having that support network around you inside work, outside work, you know, it really can, uh, it, it really builds the foundations, doesn't it? So it does. yeah, amazing, amazing. So, you know, I, you know, you, you're very humble, George, you know, if someone has achieved great things in your life, in your career, how, how do you balance ambition and humility? Like how have you managed to stay so grounded uh, and maintain humility but being so successful. Well, you're making me blush now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, again, I've been very fortunate that I have seen different parts of the world, different people. Uh, we are very fortunate. We, you know, living in the UK, living in North America, having, you know, the background to really live very, very blessed, if you will. Um, you know, I've been all over the world where I've seen people that do so much with so little. Um, and I've got many memories of things that I've done, be it, you know, in Africa or India or the Middle East. And many of those people were instructive in making sure that you don't forget the importance of the little things and be grateful for everything that you have. Um, and, you know, it could be just having a bottle of water or, you know, just it, it could be the, the smallest little thing. But at the end of the day, I think if you remember that we all came from the same place, uh, we all share the same wants for our families, for our children, you know, and um I think that keeps you grounded. Um, and, you know, just because you have a lot of things or you're able to do these things still doesn't mean that you've got to remember you're very fortunate. And that's what I try to focus on is giving back and remembering that I am fortunate um, and, and trying to hold that sort of near and dear. 
Yeah, that's amazing advice. That's fantastic. So, yeah, brilliant. And and obviously you have been very successful, you know, throughout your career. What do you think are the key qualities that perhaps you've brought to the table that's allowed you to kind of go that one step further than perhaps others who are on the same level as you perhaps could, didn't? Listening. Uh, that to me was the most important thing. The moment you stop talking, it changes the dynamic because now you listen and you observe. Um, and once you start observing and you actually listen to what people say, as opposed to wanting to say the next thing, it changes things for you and it allows you to look at the world in a different way. And I think that to me is the most important thing I would say to anyone is take time to listen. It's not about the fact that you had the most amount of airtime or that you said the most. It's about listening to what people want, need, and what the problems are and trying to be part of that solution. It's amazing. Yeah, perfect. So, you know, I think for the new generation, right? So the, the young people are just joining the ServiceNow industry or, you know, the next gen community. Um, what advice would you give to the, to, to the young generation who are now kind of establishing themselves within ServiceNow? Like, would you, like, what advice would you kind of give them? I would say you're at a point where it's very exciting because to me, um, you know, it, the blending of technology with things like artificial intelligence, machine learning provides tremendous avenues that didn't exist 20, 30 years ago. But there's a couple of things I would say. Number one, a bad manual process will be a bad automated process. And what I mean by that is take the time to understand what problem you're solving and make sure that the outcome actually is better than what you started with. Number two is understand what the business is trying to achieve. What's, what is the organization trying to achieve? And number three, you can't expect it to be like sending an iMessage. It's not instant gratification. Good things take time. And it's okay if they take time. It's probably better that they do um, because that means you've had an opportunity to look at various twists and turns. Fantastic. So wonderful. Go Looking back at your career, is there anything you wish you did differently? <sighs> That's a good question. I try not to be um, retrospective because once you've made a decision, it's important that you stay the course. Uh, you know, are there things that in hindsight I would have done differently? Yes. Um, but is there anything that I've done that I wish I hadn't have done? No. Um, I, I am very happy to have done all the different things. And I think it's okay to look back, but you can't second guess yourself either. So, and once it's done, it's done, right? I mean, you know, you can't unring a bell. Uh, so you really need to just make the best out of it. As we say, you make lemonade out of lemons. Um, so I, I, that might sound a little bit, um, how should I put it, um, almost um, sanctimonious, but you can't undo what you did. Um, if you did something wrong, obviously apologize, be humble uh, and learn from it. Learn from your mistakes and always try to do better. Yeah, amazing, amazing. 
are you the type of person that lives very much in the moment? Are you very much a now person or are you always planning for the future? Well, my spouse would say that I'm in the now, um, but, um, you know, I think a little bit of both, actually. Um, you know, there's some areas where I plan a lot and other areas I don't. Um, so I just really think it depends um, on, um, on what you do. And I'd like to say you can't typecast me as someone that just picks up and is overly spontaneous, but I'm also have never been accused of being an over planner either. So I'd like to say I'm a bit balanced, hopefully. Yeah, amazing. Perfect. So look, this could be totally non-work related. So let's pretend we're in Back to the Future. Okay. We can be uh, Marty, Marty McFly, Doc Emmett. If you could go back in the DeLorean in a time machine and talk to your 21-year-old self or, or give him something, what would that be? I would say don't be arrogant. That's what I would say. When we're younger, we tend to be arrogant because we don't know any better. And um, it's a function of being younger and it's okay. The key is to grow out of it, which I'm thankful that I have. Um, you know, um, that's 36 years ago. So going back in that, that's, 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 that's more than, you know, that's, that's uh, over double my uh, 21 years of age. Um, so I would say that would be it. Don't be arrogant. Um, yeah, I, uh, I could think of something that's probably a little bit off color, but I'm not going to say it, but, um, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. but, um, no, that's fine. No, absolutely. I'm, I'm sure we could guess, uh, you know, when you say don't be arrogant, you know, I think what young people probably think is they need to make a mark. They need to kind of stamp their ground and they also need to exert confidence. Do you think arrogance and confidence could be mixed up and where people think I'm being confident about my abilities, it's actually coming across as arrogant. What's the balance? What's the fine line? There is a fine line and you're absolutely right. Confidence is the fact that you are able based on previous, you know, success or even previous efforts that you feel like you can do something. Arrogant is where you've lost hubris. You've lost the ability to be objective. Um, and that to me is part of that listening, right? Arrogance is not just, oh, I'm, you know, a sub, you know, whatever in terms of my, uh, my track record or my, my swimming or whatever it is. Um, there's always going to be someone that's better than you. Um, no world record has stood the test of time. Some of them do stand for a long time, but at the end of the day, your record will be broken. Um, and so, at that point in time, you might be the best, but there's always someone that's going to be better. So to me, revel in what you've succeeded in, but always try to remember you're only here for a short amount of time. Absolutely. That's, I think that's the key thing, isn't it? You've got to enjoy life, be humble, be kind and, you know, work hard, I suppose. Work hard and, and, uh, and you'll be successful, right? Exactly. Oh, that's amazing. Perfect. Well, look, George, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Um, I thank you so much for your time, your wisdom. Um, you know, your, your positivity is so infectious. Um, and it's been amazing to talk to you. So thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it's been my pleasure, Farah. Thank you. Oh, brilliant. Thank you so much then.